The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Season 3 of Students of Mind, the podcast that's all about opening up and normalizing discussions about mental health in ways that anyone can comprehend. In the first two seasons, we sat down with mental health experts and survivors to give you a full circle picture of each topic. In this new season, we will continue to explore the world of mental health through the insights of experts, healers, and individuals with lived experience. From alternative healing modalities to living with multiple illnesses, this season we will cover a wide range of topics with the help of a diverse selection of guests. My name is Jade, and for today's episode, we're taking a look at internal family systems with the help of Clarissa Harwell and Elise Brodingham. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Students of Mind podcast. Today's first guest is Clarissa Harwell. Clarissa is a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of experience working with a diverse range of clients in various settings. Clarissa specializes in trauma, LGBTQIA and trans-affirming practices, neurodiversity, and internal family systems. Her main goal is to provide safe, inclusive, and culturally sensitive services. Welcome, Clarissa. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited for our conversation today, but before we get into the topic of today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? I am. I'm a licensed clinical social worker here in California. I'm in the Bay Area, but I see clients all over California, thanks to telehealth. Um, 
so while I do private practice, I also do a couple other things. I'm a crisis clinician for children and adolescents in my county. So um, kids who are feeling maybe suicidal, self-harming, maybe thinking of hurting others, things like that. I do assessments for them. And I also do a little uh, forensic mitigation work. So when somebody who can't afford an attorney um, is arrested for a crime, I sort of try to suss out whether there may be some mental health pieces, some trauma history, some systemic oppressions that they've experienced that should be considered when they're being um, punished, basically. So it's sort of an effort to humanize people to the courts. Um, so a very eclectic mix of <laughs> mental healthy kind of stuff. It's very cool that you have kind of like a diverse spread of the work that you do. That's really cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a privilege to be able to do those things and still um, be able to spend time with my kids and my family. And I, in my private practice, I work primarily with um, trauma. So I specialize in trauma. That's why most people come to see me is to do IFS work um, with trauma. And a lot of my clients are queer or trans and or neurodivergent. So I don't know that it would be uh, fair to call that a specialty, but it just so happens that I have the privilege of working with a lot of queer and trans and neurodivergent clients. Um, so you talked a little bit about IFS, and that's the topic for today. So let's get into it. You tell us first, um, like, what got you into working with this type of modality, um, and then get into a little bit about what internal family systems is. Yeah, I like that question about what it is, because it sounds super weird at first. Uh, and I think people are like, well, that doesn't sound right, Clarissa. That sounds really strange which I love that reaction. Um, how did I get into it? Oh, so at my crisis job, um, when I was getting my hours to be licensed by the Board of Behavioral Sciences, um, therapists who are in that process get clinical supervision. Um, and my clinical supervisor happened to be this amazing woman um, who is an IFS therapist. And she introduced me to IFS very like low key, casually, just it became part of our supervision. And it felt very natural for me. And I had done a lot of therapy as a client myself. And nothing, I mean, it was helpful. And I love therapy. I love being a client. But IFS clicked in a way that nothing else had. It felt like it honored the darkest parts of me, the, the parts I'm most ashamed of, the things that I don't want to look at in myself. Like there's a way of making those things feel okay. And so she introduced me to the idea. And then I was like, how can I learn more about this? I'm going to get me an IFS therapist. And I did. And it was like paradigm shifting and life changing and just like a really beautiful and difficult experience. Um, and then I went to into IFS trainings and got the stupidly expensive trainings. That's a problem. Um, and continued to 
learn about it on my own and then attend subsequent trainings. And it's been a really, um, I guess, a really healing journey because so many other kinds of therapy that I've done, while they have been helpful in many ways, um, almost pushed the parts of me that I didn't want to look at or didn't want anyone else to know about, almost pushed them away further. And IFS was like, welcome, welcome to those parts. Like, let's talk about them. Let's get to know them. And that felt really like kind of delicious in a way to be like, oh gosh, all of me is welcome. I'm a mixed bag and that's okay. Um, your other question was, what is IFS? That is, that is a really good question. Um, so a guy named Richard Schwartz, a friendly gentleman who has a nice gentle way about him, was a family systems therapist back in the 70s, let's say, late 70s maybe. He was a family systems therapist, and he was um, a student of family systems therapy. And so he would work with families, obviously, and individuals. And he started to notice that his clients would talk about parts of themselves in a really natural way, like, oh, part of me wants to take this new job, but part of me is like really scared to take that new job. And a part of me is really anxious about how my family will react. And so it felt pretty natural um, to him that clients were talking about parts of themselves. And he began to work with individual parts as almost as though they were individual people. And that sounds super weird, but he found that his clients were very responsive to it. And when he would address a part in a client, like let's say a really anxious part, um, and talk to the client as though they were that anxious part or um, have the client talk to their anxious part, it was really effective. And it built that connection between the client and their anxiety. And so he did that with families, he did it with individuals, and eventually developed it in the 80s, some point in that decade, 1980s, um, into a whole modality. And it's evolved, I think, quite a bit since then. And I, I obviously wasn't involved in it in the 80s, but um, it has changed in the sense that it has, IFS has started fairly recently um, to realize that it needs to involve to be more inclusive and to include healing, like ancestral healing and healing from racial injustice and healing from like war survivors, things like that. So it has become more global and inclusive in the recent years. Um, still got a way to go with that. I think it will continue to evolve and I'm happy to see that the IFS Institute, which is like the official you know, they do the trainings and stuff, um, that they're dedicated to that evolution. That's really cool to hear that it's being, like, expanded to be more inclusive. I didn't even think about IFS in in that way. Because, like, personally, I probably two years ago started uh, doing parts work, and it, uh, for me, was also tremendously, like, a a paradigm shift for sure and and just has really dictated how I speak to myself 
Um, and so I can, I can see how creating uh, or developing this modality to be more inclusive, how it could just make the reach even larger and it could help even more people. Yeah, the changing the way you speak to yourself with parts work is one of the things I love about it. Like we can begin to treat ourselves as though, you know, our, our parts are not individual people exactly, but worthy of acceptance and love just as our whole self is. And that is a paradigm shift. Most of us don't know how to do that. We weren't raised certainly with those skills. Um, and the IFS Institute, one of the shifts they're making that I've noticed is towards inclusivity and, but very much work to do. It's a very, it was a very white Institute. Um, therapy has been a very white field dominated by old white men for a long time. And Richard Schwartz, well, he's not that old, is an old white man. And I think he's, he as an individual, the, the Institute collectively has realized they accidentally, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but they were exclusive. They Who can access their trainings? Who are the people coming to IFS? Usually white people. Um, so they're, they've really expanded. They've partnered with, um, I'm going to get the name wrong. I want to say Black Therapists Rock, Black Girls Rock to get the training for IFS to more um, therapists of color because not everybody wants to see a white therapist. <laughs> and uh, we've also started to do some, some work, some introductory work with the Institute about um, expanding the IFS knowledge around neurodivergence because working with autistic clients, ADHD clients and there's a lot of other neurodivergences, brain injuries, OCD, like there's a big umbrella of neurodivergence. Not a lot of therapists have a lot of experience in that. And I think it's important to, for any therapy modality to be aware and have their eyes open to who are we excluding? And we've got to make work to, we've got to work to change that. So I'm glad to see that that's happening. Yeah. Me too. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so can we go into um, more in depth into internal family systems? And can you talk about like um, the different parts that there are um, and what the roles of the different types of parts are? Yeah. So IFS is operating on this idea that we all have a self and self. I mean, there's a lot of like ancient practices that talk about self with different words. And it, I think of it personally as like my soul, my truest self, my inner guidance, like my, my highest self in a way. Um, I, I hear people talk about self and self energy differently. And I think whatever it, whatever it means to an individual is wonderful and it can be kind of personalized, but broadly speaking, it's kind of your core self, your truest self. Um, so we all have that like self with a capital S and then we all have parts and that is natural. It's good. It's not a problem. The idea of multiplicity, um, 
is just inherent in, in humanity and who we are. And we're not like this one kind of robotic, like I'm always evolved and enlightened kind of thing. Sounds great, but just ain't true. Um, so we're born with parts. And through our life experiences, per IFS, we our parts can get burdened. And that happens through trauma, certainly is a big one. Um, they Our parts begin to carry burdens because of our life experiences, say of like, maybe you have an invalidating parent and you experienced many years growing up of being invalidated. Our parts are going to hold that for us. And most of us, I almost want to say all of us, but I try to stay away from extreme language. Um, many, many of us don't have the skills, understandably, when we're children. We don't have the resources, inner or outer, to know what the heck to do with that invalidation. Um, so oversimplification for sure, but essentially we often will make that into a message of, I must be bad. Like, oh, my parent's not responding to me. Um, my parent shames me. My parent um, bullies me. The, the message a child will often make of that is I'm bad or something's wrong with me. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. Something along those lines. So that's sort of a, a burden that parts will carry for us. And in IFS, there's, again, broadly speaking, kind of different categories of parts one is protectors. Protectors are, gosh, I love them. They're just magnificent. And they can act in all kinds of funny ways sometimes, sometimes dangerous ways, sometimes self-destructive ways, sometimes super helpful ways, but they're always working in service of us in the only way they know how. So protectors are divided, maybe divided is not a great word, subcategorized perhaps um, into two sections, uh, firefighters and managers. Managers are usually, <laughs> they're usually parts that we tend to like more. They're easier to appreciate because they help us with our day-to-day -day stuff. So I have a manager that is, I call my good therapist part, which is funny because it's not actually good therapy, but it's my manager that is really prominent sometimes in my system is like wants to be the perfect therapist and like never make weird faces and never say anything ridiculous and like be a blank slate, basically like this old timey view of therapy. And she, that part of me can help me um, kind of gather myself when I'm overwhelmed or I um, need sort of to focus on like an intervention or something like really come back to the idea of what therapy is and she's helpful but she can get she can get a little loud and a little critical sometimes and other managers might be like I have to keep you hyper organized so you don't forget anything because if you forget something the whole world's gonna fall apart and like very kind of type A, anxious, anxiety is often a manager, and lots of different kinds of managers. They help us function, and they usually are pretty helpful. They can get extreme. We could talk about that in a bit. Um, firefighters, 
often I find are harder for people to love and appreciate because they do some extreme crap sometimes. Um, I love them because firefighters come in when they sense or they perceive that we're vulnerable, that our some kind of core wound or trauma has surfaced or um, our managers couldn't manage in the way that they tried to manage and firefighters are like, I'm going to come in and blow it all up or take you out. So dissociation can be a firefighter, substance abuse, um, suicidality, certainly uh, over shopping, having, um, having sex that you isn't fully mindful. I think people think of firefighters as their vices sometimes and certainly a lot of, I don't love the word vices, but since a lot of people come with that sort of idea, firefighters can be thought of as the things we do that maybe aren't always in our best interest, but they help us cope with really vulnerable or difficult feelings. And then what they're protecting, so managers and firefighters are our protectors, and what they're all trying to protect is what IFS calls exiles. Exiles are typically, but not always, very young parts of us, um, parts of, that have been maybe hurt or scared, shamed, hold ideas about us that are pretty core to our belief system and often very painful. So common beliefs of exiles are, I'm unworthy, I'm not safe, I'm unloved, I'm bad, um, I can't count on people, things like that. And none of us like to feel that stuff, like that That feels crappy. So our managers work to protect us, keep us distracted and busy and organized and up and running so we don't feel that stuff. And if any of those exiles kind of get a little bit activated or something in our daily life kind of pokes at those wounds, firefighters might come in and be like, oh, we're not going to feel this. Let's go to the bar tonight that kind of vibe, <laughs> like I'm going to take you out of it so you don't have to feel it. Those are the three categories. And um, Parts are helpful. Their goal is always to help us. But when they get burdened by life and by trauma, they get into these sort of extreme roles. So whereas my good therapist might be really helpful, if I'm really under-resourced, I'm really stressed, not coping well, my mental health is suffering, she might take over a lot and she might kind of run the show. And there's not a lot of myself present, which just happens and it's okay. But one of the gentle goals, I'd say, of IFS is to help all of us have access to more of ourselves so that we are in the lead, our self-energy is in the lead, and our parts are like our sidekicks. They're, uh, they're accompanying us on our journey, but they're not taking over. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this because it was such a profound, this has been such a profound type of therapy for me to be doing, and so I'm really excited for people to um, learn about it and I feel like you're doing a great job of like providing examples because this kind of work can be kind of hard to like grasp um, 
so I think yeah this is gonna be great and like helping people understand like what the heck it actually is and huge question right like what is it (laughs) like it's it's hard to put a fine point on it for me anyway other people might be great at that but the idea that it's natural and wonderful that we all have this multiplicity and almost everybody at some point is like do you mean I have multiple personalities and I'm like yeah in a way but not in the sense of like dissociative identity disorder although IFS is amazing for that um or like a plural system we all do have a plural system really we have a whole system within us but it's different than having you know, in the old days, they said split personalities. Um, but we do have these individual little personalities who have their own agendas and their own feelings and their own fears and their own ways of coping with stuff. What's pretty cool about that is that each of our parts can be a resource for us. Like when they're burdened and they're doing their extreme stuff, that can cause a lot of havoc in our lives. It can cause a lot of stress and pain and suffering but when we work towards harmony in our system, our parts are truly our allies. And I, I, what I love about IFS is that it welcomes those parts in all their burdens and pain and suffering and says, it's okay. It's okay that you do this. It's okay that you um, help this person dissociate when they need to. Let's learn about why you do that and how we might help you find other ways when it feels safe to do so. So they're not, we don't want to get rid of parts. We're not trying to be this one like perfect ideal because that ain't going to happen for any of us. I've tried. (laughs) And I have a part that is like, just be perfect and everything will be fine. Still working with her. Um, But we don't want to get rid of parts. We just want to live collectively and in harmony with them. Great. And I also love how like you're, giving examples of like your own parts because um i think like having a dialogue (laughs) with parts is such an important part of the process and you're just giving people that example so that that's really great so thank you so who um would you say parts work and internal family systems is recommended for at the risk of being biased (laughs) which i am almost everybody um, truly almost everybody. I, the reason I say that is because I've had people who come and they don't know I'm an IFS therapist. They just come to me because they want to work on trauma. Cool. I'm indirectly using IFS kind of all the time, even in my personal life. Um, so it doesn't have to be always this formal, like, okay, we're going to sit down and do IFS today. Cool. If that works, you know, like, some people might want that um, that sort of mechanized, like we're going to go into parts work now. And like, and some people need that and want that beautiful. Some people don't know what the hell IFS is. They don't care. They just want to feel better. Cool. We could do that. Um, so I think people who come to IFS who are either don't know anything about it they're perfect for it. People who are super skeptical of it and like, this sounds really stupid, Clarissa, that's ridiculous. That sounds new agey, like gross. Um, love that. I love skeptical parts. I have a huge skeptic. Um, she sort of like 
you know how the the old idea of like there's an angel on your shoulder or a devil well i don't so much have that but i do have a skeptic that sort of hangs out in this area for me always on my left for some reason and just sits there sometimes and it's like this shit is stupid uh, this, this is never going to work. And I still have that. I've gone through multiple IFS trainings and doing it for years. I see it work. It has helped me. It helps my clients. And I still have that skeptic that is like, really, this is really stupid. And I, so I love that, right? Like skeptics help us weed out um, kind of crap from our own truth. And it's helpful. I think, don't quote me on this, please. I think IFS is contraindicated for people with um, traumatic brain injuries. I think I've learned that somewhere along this way and maybe not much else. I think when they've studied it, they found that some traumatic brain injuries it's not appropriate for, but I can't really speak more to that because I'm not, I'm not um, well-versed in that, but I've used it with um, folks who have schizophrenia and bipolar mania and depressive episodes. I really love working with um, suicidal parts that so many of us have or um, have pop up throughout our lives. I think suicidal parts are some of our um, greatest protectors to some extent. Um, let's see, dissociative identity disorder, um, People often say, like, can you use IFS with autistic people? Yes. I'm autistic. I have a lot of autistic clients. Yes, it works for us. Um, I think maybe it wouldn't work for people who have, well, I don't, that's not even sure. I was going to say it wouldn't work for people who have really strong protectors that won't allow the client to, um, be responsive to like the therapist self energy or just can't kind of take that in. I was going to say that, but I, I stand corrected because I actually have worked with a lot of people who have very strong protectors who are like, screw you lady. You're not going to help me. Um, I don't trust the, the person, the client, like parts who just want none of it. And actually we've made a lot of movement and a lot of healing. So probably almost everybody, if they're willing to try it. Yeah, that's really good to know. Um, so I guess going deeper into that, like what are people reporting um, as the benefits of IFS? So like how is it helping people's mental health? I think the what comes to the top of my head really quickly is healing. But what does healing mean? And that's a very individual thing probably. Um, relief from suffering, again, pretty broad. But when I talk to clients about like week to week and over months, what changes are they feeling? There's less of a, um, maybe this is a pretty significant one. I think it was for me personally, less of an internal battle. So many of us, all of us maybe, um, have what IFS calls polarizations. And really that just means an internal conflict. So if one part of me, a bit of a mundane example, but one part of me wants to go for a walk and the other part of me is like, stay in bed and watch Netflix. It's way cozier. And that's a little internal battle. And 
we could stay in bed, we could go for a walk, we could do something different. That's maybe a little bit of a silly example because there's probably not going to be a lot of stress around that conflict. But every day we have probably dozens or more of these little internal conflicts. I don't, probably we don't even notice them some of the time, but they cause stress when we aren't sure whether we should do this or do that, or how do I feel about my partner? Or should I stay in this relationship? Should I have kids? Should I not? Like sometimes they're big, sometimes they're little, like tiny decisions, but that's just parts not agreeing with each other. So one of the ways that I think IFS reduces suffering is we learn to work with those internal conflicts and it can bring so much peace. So, and one of the ways we do that again, kind of an oversimplification, but like if I have a part that wants to stay in bed and watch Netflix and a part that wants to go for a walk, I might give each of those parts in my mind a time to tell me why they think I should do, like why this part wants to go for a walk. And it might say, well, because you need movement. You feel better after a walk, Clarissa, and you'll feel healthier and it's good for your longevity. And, you know, it's good to get fresh air. Um, I might have a critical part come in and be like, if you don't go for a walk, you're lazy, you know, you're going to die of heart disease, like a really kind of seemingly nasty part that's trying to help me by kind of kicking me in the butt. Um, and then another part that might say, but you're so cozy in bed. Like this Netflix show is so good. Don't get out of bed. You're happy here. And so I might give a platform to each of those parts and, this part can be hard. It sounds quite simple. I find it difficult sometimes for myself. But when we hear from these parts, we start to see what they're trying to do for us and we begin to appreciate them. That can take two minutes for some parts. That can take a year for some other parts. So there, there's no right or wrong timeline. Um, it depends on the client. It depends on the extremeness of the parts. Some are easy to love, some are very difficult. But when we are able over time to start to appreciate those parts, they start to relax. They don't have to work so damn hard to get our attention. And it, in that going for a walk example, it might become um, less contentious to make a decision. It might be okay to do either thing, or it might become clear to me and myself will make a decision. And I might, in my mind, be like, to the part that wants me to go for a walk, yeah, you know, you're right, I do feel better after a walk. That 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 is a good idea. And I might, to the Netflix cozy in bed part, be like, you're right, God, this feels so good. I don't want to get out of bed. You just want me to rest. Thank you. You want me to rest. You know I feel good here. And to even that critical part that is like, get out of bed, you're going to die of heart disease thank you. I know that you don't, to that part, I know that you don't know how else to motivate me. And so you're using that critical kind of approach and I'm going to help you learn a new way over time. Cause right now that criticism doesn't feel so good, but I appreciate you trying to help me. And my parts respond to that appreciation. Eventually that did not happen right away. Um, and when they feel appreciated and they feel most importantly, like I've listened to them and I understand why they do what they do, they're content to let me decide. And my decision could be anything. My decision could be to go eat a chocolate cake or 
watch more Netflix or go for a walk. Like it doesn't matter because I've decided them and I've decided with my true self in the lead rather than my critical part or my part that just wants me to be cozy all the time, never wants me to be uncomfortable or the part that is fear-based that it's like, you're going to die if you don't go for a walk. They feel understood by me now. And therefore I can make a, like a more clear decision. I, I, again, I love uh, you giving the example and like it's taking us through the steps of like what the thought process is of each part because I think that's that's the work of of this type of work. And I, I, so many people are like, well, what do you actually do in IFS? I didn't have any idea. (laughs) What does it look like? And I have a part that really wants to understand why we do the way we do it. And that that part does not want to rest until it understands the reasoning behind it. And I want to answer those parts, um, desires to know. And a lot of clients have those parts that are like, let me see the research about this because I think this is dumb. Fair. Cool. Yeah, it makes sense that you think this is dumb. I have a part that thinks it's dumb, too. Let's let's get to know that part. Like, what are the risks if we, you know, if that part that thinks it's dumb, what is it afraid will happen if you try it? And there's often, like, for a lot of skeptical parts or a lot of, like, kind of judgy, that's dumb, that, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, That's the voice of (laughs) my judgy part, that's dumb. Like, for a lot of those parts, it's fear-based. Like, I'm afraid that I'll try it and it won't work and then I'll feel hopeless Or I'm afraid I'll look stupid when I do this. I feel silly doing this and I feel embarrassed. So when we get to know those parts, we come to understand them. And then we appreciate them. Then they feel understood by us. And that helps them relax. Yeah. And I I love just all of the like curiosity that there is behind this as opposed, yeah, as opposed to like trying to decide either or just coming in with curiosity. I, I love that part too. Great. That's a great point and a word I haven't even mentioned in this podcast episode, but curiosity is a huge part of IFS. Initially, it usually starts with the therapist and my self-energy with the clients. Certainly, I mean, everybody has self-energy and a self, but many people come to therapy not knowing that or not feeling it, not having had an experience of, you know, their, their core truest self. And so we, the therapist and their self energy lends that to the client and their system. And so my own curiosity, not like a, I need to know and understand why you do this kind of aggressive curiosity, but a really gentle inquiry. Like I, I want to know more about what that's like for you. I want to know more about why that part thinks the only way to help you is by shaming you. Because when we get to know that part, there will always be a good reason why that part does what it does. Right now, we don't know that reason, so it just feels like crap. Once we understand it, it will make sense to us. And that part will then experience relief. Because we were just open and curious instead of being like, I hate you. Like, all you do is shame me. And that feels like crap. I want to get rid of you. And that's where a lot of us start is I hate that part of myself. I want to get rid of it. And that evolves over time, thankfully. Yeah. 
Um, I just thought of one follow-up question, and then we'll we'll wrap up. But I, it's just interesting um, to hear you talk about uh, as the therapist coming in with the curiosity, because um, that is something like with my therapist. Um, when we do parts work, I can really tell that she's inquiring a lot, and that in turn helps me inquire about what I'm going through throughout the days, like outside of therapy. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, like, what is the therapist's role um, in parts work? Like, what what is their their job? That's a beautiful question. The word that popped into my head was guide. Um, I am not the expert on your system. I'm hardly, I'm barely the expert on my own system. Um, so I trust every client system, even clients who are, you know, abusing substances, clients who are actively suicidal, clients who are super mean to their partners, like whatever it is, I trust that there is a reason that their system thinks it needs to be that way. Um, and that even if clients don't yet know it, I know that there's self energy in there. And my role, as I see it, is to have that gentle inquiry, to lend my self energy to their system while they get to build theirs and sort of I often use this metaphor and I mix a lot of metaphors, so we'll see how this goes. Um, I think of self energy as sort of naturally flowing water. So a stream, maybe um, it's always flowing. It's not seasonal in California that stuff dries up. It's just always flowing water, but we don't ha always have access to it because dams are built, rocks get in the way, people litter. There's, all sorts of things that become obstacles. The water is still there. Our self is still there. Our life experiences, our traumas, they get in the way. They make it harder to access our self energy. Nobody has shown us how. We might not even believe we have any, but it's always there. So my role as a guide is to kind of love up each of those obstacles, get to know them, appreciate them for what they've done. They've blocked access to those painful traumas, those exiled parts, um, and help those obstacles sort of return to their natural roles so that the self-energy can be free-flowing and more easily accessed. And each client can do that. Um, I'm just here to guide and, and ask questions, basically. Um, be, be curious with an open heart. That's so beautiful. I love that. And as someone who does parts work, it definitely feels that way with my therapist. Good. I'm so I'm so glad for you, and I'm so glad for me, and I'm so glad for all of us who have a solid therapist to do this work because it, it really can be life changing. And I don't say that lightly, but IFS has changed how I see myself, how I see the world, and how I interact with other humans in a really, really profound way. Alrighty, so to wrap up, I have a question that I ask all of my guests. Um, this season, I just want to emphasize to my audience the importance of self-care. Um, so my question for you is, what is one thing that you do to maintain mental wellness? 
therapy, <laughs> therapies, but truly. And I say that knowing that therapy is a privilege. I think it should be a right, but for it, it's a privilege to be able to go to therapy. Um, and I'm glad that therapy is becoming more accessible through a lot of different avenues for people. But I think my number one for taking care of myself in all areas, like my um, spiritual self, my physical self, my mental self, my emotional self, um, is my own therapy. And I've realized, though, sort of a caveat to that is that our culture, American culture, I mean, places so much focus on individuals to heal themselves. And like, if we are mentally unwell, if we are, I don't use this word, but colloquially like crazy, you know, we we're blamed for that. It's a moral failing in the eyes of our culture often. So it's important for me personally to acknowledge that mental wellness, while yes, we are individually responsible for our mental well-being, we can't heal in a vacuum and we live in a culture of broken and oppressive systems. So if we are suffering, if we are mentally unwell, rather than like a what's wrong with me kind of question, I think we the burden is is often placed on the individual rather than the systems we live in. And we don't look at how uh, poverty and oppression and the criminal justice system, like we don't look at all these systems and how they negatively influence us. So for me, individual therapy is huge for my mental wellness, but also advocacy has to be a piece of it because I can take responsibility for my own well-being, but I still live in all these, you know, effed up systems. And that's with multiple privileges. So we, we got we to gotta work on the systems too. And it's easier to do when we feel okay individually. But I think it's sort of a matter of individual, but also collective. And those things are not disconnected. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said therapy because I'm such a huge advocate for therapy. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I'm a therapist to therapy and people are like, therapists go to therapy. Yes. Let's normalize that. All right. So to wrap up, can you give me and my audience some ways that we can stay up to date with the work that you're doing or get connected with you? Yeah. Thank you. Um, my website is really long. Uh, lcsw.com and my practice is currently full but I always love when people reach out with any questions about IFS or trauma or even just help getting connected to a therapist um I fantasize about a matchmaking site for like I love to match people with therapists so I have People constantly being like, do you have a therapist that you think would be a good fit for me? Yes, I do. Um, so people can reach out for help finding a therapist or accessing affordable therapy. It does exist. Um, or just to know more about IFS. All right. Thank you so much. This was s such a great episode. I think there's so much information that's going to be really insightful for a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here today.
Today's second guest is Elise Brottingham. Elise is a certified holistic wellness coach who has helped upwards of 400 clients make transformations in their lives through retreats and online courses. Elise also has a YouTube channel called Evolving with Elise, where she shares her own personal wellness journey. Today, Elise shares her healing experience with internal family systems. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, Before we get into the topic of today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So myself, my name is Elise, and the work that I do, um, well, I guess it kind of started like seven or eight years ago. I started um, documenting my life on social media in hopes to inspire others in their wellness And um, that was sparked from me being inspired by others online and, um, yeah, really turned my life around for the better. And so I just started sharing all of the healthy practices that I've been engaging in um, way back when, when I was, I guess, 19, 20 years old. Um, And since then, um, what I do has evolved and transitioned a lot over the years, likely because I was really growing up at that time. Um, I'm 28 now, and so there's been a lot of different uh, seasons that I've gone through. So started with um, sharing and inspiring others on YouTube primarily, and then um, my community grew at a point to around 750,000, mostly young women online, and um, it went from inspiring in YouTube videos to starting to host self-growth Um, and self-love retreats in Hawaii. Um, And then, yeah, over the years, I've also gotten into coaching. So I've hosted um, so many different rounds of group coaching programs. I offer one-on-one coaching. Um, And then more recently, I launched um, an online community. So like an inner circle where I host live calls every month and just an opportunity for connection with like-minded people to feel safe and and understood so that's a little bit about yeah what I offer and what I do that's great I I already have a follow-up question (laughs) um I guess I'm just wondering like how did you get into this like wellness self-improvement type of work like did you were you like on your own journey with that and then you decided to teach others like how did you get into it Yeah, good question. Um, It definitely started from, you know, when I was younger, really struggling with, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say just mental health, but really like myself, my life, my health, physical health, mental health, social, like everything, Um, you know, being a teenager and, and starting to go to college and getting all wrapped up in uh, the culture of college and how it's so, uh, not supportive for positive mental health and wellness in general. Um, and so that definitely took a toll on me. Um, I ended up transferring to a more health focused college and that helped a lot, um, to, you know, support me in eating healthy and just like the basic things. But I still found that 
I was just really challenged and didn't feel like I was in an environment that was supportive for my unique self and, and I guess the things that I needed to to feel good, to feel healthy. And so from that place, I, I reached what I consider my rock bottom, um, where I was just like, as much as I wanted to be healthy, I wasn't eating healthy. I was, you know, drinking and doing drugs and spending time with people who just weren't positive influences. I was tuning into content online, like way back in the day when we used Tumblr and just think like I was tuning into things that were not supporting me. And so I reached a point where I was like, I can't keep living this way. Like this isn't good for me. And I remember as a kid, I used to be happy and more free spirited. And I just knew that I needed to reconnect with my truth and my happiness and my health. And so that's when I got curious and started Googling. I'm like, how do I be healthy? How do I be kind to myself? Um, and so I stumbled across a YouTuber and lots of information, like very basic at the time, um, that helped me get on a better track. So for me, it was very like night and day. I I stopped following all the accounts that I was following. I stopped spending time with certain people. Um, I stopped eating the way that I was. I ended up going raw vegan overnight. So I was just eating fruits and vegetables. I started meditating, um, saying positive affirmations out loud, journaling every single day, like the whole thing changed. Um, and within a couple of weeks, I started feeling so much better, so much lighter, so much happier and more positive. And um, that was originally what inspired me to start sharing um, all the things I was doing at the time. And then I kept trying new things. I kept learning about alternative health and wellness practices and mindset practices. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. It's just always been, I, I learn new things and then I share along the way. That's really beautiful. And um, I guess you, you touched on this a little bit in, in what you just talked about, but I, I'm wondering before we get into parts work, just like a kind of like overview of what you've experienced in terms of mental health, um, just like what the the journey with your mental health has been and, and how your mental health has showed up for you. Yeah, definitely. So um, back when I was in middle school, middle school, high school, I think was when there was a, a shift for me um, where I, I shifted from, like I said, like pretty happy, like confident, just like self-expressive child or like young teen to all of a sudden there was this darkness looming over me and um, I felt depressed. Um, I, I would say, yeah, anxiety didn't hit until I was older, like in college, but um, depression when I was in my teens in high school and just feeling misunderstood. I like, it's interesting. I don't even remember like context to it. Again, I think it just goes back to, I was in an environment that just wasn't working for me somehow. And that was showing up in the way that I felt and the, and the things that I was thinking. So should I maybe share a trigger warning? I'll share yeah, sure. just for like the next 15 seconds or so. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was depressed. And then also um, in high school, I was suicidal and just had ideations and, and I was very alone in it all. Like there is just no support system. Um, I was self-harming at the time as well. 
And um, yeah, and at some point my parents found out because the guidance counselor contacted them and I guess people were talking. And so it was just very like awkward at the time. Like my parents weren't informed with how to navigate that and they cared so much, but they had no tools for like how to have conversations about that. And so I was sent to the guidance counselor on a regular basis and I don't remember it being that supportive. It was more so like, oh, cool, I get to get out of class, but I'm still feeling the way that I'm feeling. Um, so that was that when I was younger. Um, and then in college, um, less depression, but more anxiety and just tension and this like irritability of, I know that I'm in a place that I'm not meant to be. I'm doing things I'm not meant to be doing. Like I'm following other people's paths and plans. And um, there was that. And then kind of fast forward um, more recently, um, a few years ago, I <laughs> I got into mindset work and positive affirmations and consciously creating my reality, which was amazing. And it really, it led me far and allowed me to create a lot of incredible things in my career and my life. Um, but then eventually it was sort of like something started to crack and I started to realize that, yes, I've been happy, but I also haven't been feeling my emotions at all. And so I learned this through um, starting to work with a, a mentor. You could call him like an energy healer, an energy worker. Um, and I started working with him about three and a half years ago. And he was the one that introduced me to the idea of like, hey, we're humans. We have emotions. How are your emotions? And I'm like... I'm good. I'm happy all the time. And um, through working with him, I started to see, oh, you know, there might be a part of me that's actually sad. And and I started to learn, um, this is kind of transitioning into par parts work, but yeah, I guess that's my, that's my past with mental health. Yeah. It sounds like you've had kind of like a, you've had an interesting experience so far with your mental health. And I, I love that you were able to find this mentor. I think a mentor therapist counselor is so great when you deal with mental health struggles. Um, so yeah, like let's get into parts work. Um, when did you first start parts work and like what drew you to it? How was it um, introduced to you? Yeah, so um, it was about three three and a half years ago when I started working with this mentor. I call him mentor because sometimes I feel like when it comes to alternative therapies or alternative counseling, it's sort of tricky to actually put a name on it. Um, so I call him my mentor. And um, it actually, parts work wasn't something that I sought out on my own or that I was looking for. Um, I, I started working with this mentor, actually not because of mental health at all, but because, well, I guess in some form, maybe it was, it was, I was experiencing physical symptoms, physical pain, migraines specifically, and brain fog. And to me, what I learned along the way is that that was a result of suppressing emotions. And so in a way that was related to mental health. Like on the outside, it didn't seem like there was a mental health issue, but what was happening was there was something suppressed. So for me, um, I started working with this mentor and 
he just a little at a time started introducing me to certain philosophies, certain concepts, and certain modalities that were very new to me. And so one of them was this concept that we have parts within us that when we say, how are you feeling? And someone says, oh, I'm really anxious. I started to learn, oh, maybe it's not that the whole, our whole being is anxious, but maybe there's a part that's anxious and there's a part that feels okay, or there's a part that's coherent and at ease. And so I guess, um, a clear way to point to that is, you know, oftentimes our hands or our feet, we don't feel anxiety there, but maybe we feel stability or calmness in our feet. Um, but for me, anxiety would show up in my chest or up in my heart or my throat. Um, and then if a part was feeling angry, I would feel heat throughout my body. Um, and so I started to learn and identify different parts within myself and that different parts could exist simultaneously. And I think the first, um, you know, way that I saw this was really helpful was it, it took away this identification with, I am blank. I am anxious. I am depressed. I am frustrated. It's all of a sudden you can like unhook from that and unmerge from that and you're watching and witnessing and experiencing a part. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. I I can relate to that because I also do parts work. And it's uh, for me, it's very profound. And, and I really struggle with anxiety. So this sense of being able to like unmerge with the anxiety, unmerge with the symptoms has been like really, really helpful. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like that's such <laughs> a big piece of it is that like unmerging. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm so excited in this moment to discover that you practice parts work too. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm curious, yeah, as I share like what, um, yeah, maybe what your experience has been or what is similar or what's different because as I speak, I know that there's um, internal family systems. And so IFS is like the officialized uh, teaching on parts work. And I actually didn't study that personally. It was more so I was learning from my mentor's interpretation of that or my mentor's experience with that. And so like he was the bridge. Um, and I have looked into IFS a little bit, but I guess everything I share will be my personal experience. And so I'm always curious, you know, uh, practicing this the same modality, what yeah, what shows up similar and different? Yeah, my therapist that I work with is an internal family systems practitioner, and so she like sent me the the book and like all some paperwork to teach me about like internal family systems and all the different types of parts that you can have. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting that you're coming from this perspective and that like you were saying it was more from a coming from a place of using this tool to like get in touch with your emotions as opposed to like uh dealing with a specific like symptom and I think that's really interesting because it was different for me yeah 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 absolutely uh, so I'll share like a little bit deeper um with parts work for me I think one of the one of the biggest things is that for me, it's been, 
it's been guiding me to bring in more compassion for myself and for parts. So the way that I relate to parts is that they're, they're young parts of myself. So when I relate to, let's see, how do I put this into words? I guess my view is that, you know, when we were younger during our early developmental years, there were needs that we had as little ones, as babies, as toddlers, as kids. And if those needs weren't met, the example that I always like to use is there's a baby, let's say it's me and I'm a little one and I'm in my crib crying and looking for my mom to come and I'm looking um, for nourishment. So I'm looking to breastfeed and it takes a really long time and she's not coming and I'm still crying. And so there was a need there that wasn't met or not in the time that my little self needed that to be met. And so, um, yeah, when that happens, there's a part that feels something. The part may feel terrified. The part may feel sad. The part may feel afraid or angry or anxious. And if there's not a, uh, a healing, if the if the parent in that situation doesn't come and remedy and help me feel safe right away. So in that experience, when the parent, the caregiver doesn't come, there are emotions that come up that there could be anxiety, there could be fear, there could be terror, there could be anger. And if the parent or caregiver doesn't come and remedy that and help the little one feel safe right away, so that that emotion can process, then what happens is that emotion, that part gets stuck inside until, and then this is kind of my perspective on it, until there's a situation later in life that is so similar to that original wounding, to that original hardship, that um, let's say there's a need in my relationship with my partner and they don't show up for me. That's an opportunity for ideally the other person to show up and then for there to be a healing of that original part that got hurt or didn't get the need met. But what often happens is we reenact the same woundings over and over and over again. So like then there's even more parts um, that need to be processed. And so the way that I've learned parts work is um, actually through somatic experiencing So noticing that there's a part and then being present with that part and allowing that part to come through. So usually that will come through as a physical sensation in the body, a somatic feeling. Um, And then myself and my mentor or somebody who has a regulated nervous system is calm, relaxed, and present. Um, We can be with the part and maybe there will be a wave or waves of sadness that come up, whatever the original part was and what they were feeling, um, that will come up and it can move through. And so I guess one last thing I'll share before I pass it back to you, Jade, is that understanding all of this or relating to myself and my parts and life in this way has allowed me to bring in so much compassion and understanding. So where there used to be judgment of sadness or judgment of anger and viewing certain emotions as not ideal, or let's just steer clear of those and keep them under the rug. Now, all of a sudden there's this almost like a motherly 
uh, relationship where it's like, oh, wow, there's a young one that's coming up right now that just needs my presence. And so that's where there's becomes this um, like separation or there's a part and I can access this adult self, this adult self, the version of me that's here and present and aware that there's something else that's happening um, versus the part taking over. And like we were saying in the beginning, getting merged with that part and fused with it and acting as that younger self. So I guess one more thing is that um, I noticed that, you know, if somebody is identifying with a part, their behavior and the way that they speak and act will be childlike. It will be outrageous and irritable and anger or out of control or um, really overwhelming sadness, or it'll, it'll really have childlike qualities because they're acting from the part they're fused with it. So I think that's another perk of parts work is being able to access the adult self so that we can move through life with more maturity and capacity. Yeah, you mentioned so many great things. And I think for me, like the two biggest things that I've gotten from parts work is the the self-compassion piece and also just the awareness piece because I am my ability to like identify when I'm feeling blended with a part or when I'm feeling blended with a certain symptom is so much higher than it was before I started parts work. So yeah, I think you mentioned a lot of, of really important things and I feel like parts work can be kind of like this like weird woo-woo, like hard to comprehend kind of work. But once you start to get into it, it can be really healing. Yeah. Yeah. Really healing and also really, really simple. And as you're yeah. sharing, I I just realized I'm like, wait, the protectors. I forgot all about the protectors. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to share <laughs> my experience with that? Yes, for sure. Okay. So, so what I was just going on a long rant about was the young, well, what I refer to as the young ones, the little ones. And those are those are the young parts and the example that I gave with a little one in the crib. And then there's these other parts, which are the protectors. Um, and the protector's job, from my understanding, is I guess I like to see it as like the protectors are here to help us keep going through life. So they're here to help us from or prevent us from fusing with the little ones and having us constantly be in this extremely raw emotional state. Because when I think of like somebody's going to work for the day, like they're not going to be able to function if they're in that raw state. And so the protectors are like, all right, how do we get this person to do life and not be in that raw state? Well, one way could be we have them live inside of their mind we have them constantly solving problems, thinking about things, forecasting the future, reflecting on the past, anything we can do to get them, this person out of their emotional body and into their mind. Um, so that could be a form of protection, um, going nonstop, like being back to back with socialization and work and then scrolling on social media. And then like one thing after another being go, go, go could be a protector. 
Um, and protectors are incredible because they've helped us quite literally survive and get through life. And um, I think that most people are living, operating from protectors and never really going back to tend to the needs of the little ones, of the young parts. And so that's been helpful for me too, to also identify, oh, when am I, when am I fused with a little part or when is there a little part present? When am I uh, fused in a protector or not aware that I'm even operating from a protector right now, that I'm trying to figure something out from a protector? And then when am I present and coherent? So when am I not in a raw emotional state and when am I not protecting myself and when am I fully here in this moment? Um, that has been eye-opening. And I think that points to the self-awareness piece of actually being here, present and aware versus in some illusion of the protector being who I really am. Yeah, those protector parts can be very tricky. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like for me, it's it's been also a process of like forgiving those parts and um, recognizing, like, as you said, they were essential for survival at some point in our life. And like yeah. recognizing that and showing compassion to those parts when they do come up has been like key for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I first started parts work, I made the protectors, I made everything wrong. I'm like, no, I've been, I've been, I've been living a lie. Like I've been operating from these protectors. Like this is horrible. How do we get them out of here? And then my mentor is like, no, 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 no. We get to honor the protectors and all the work that they've done. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. I understand. Um, for me, I, one of my protectors has been cleaning and organizing. So one of my protectors, and I actually like to name them too. Um, like I have a protector named George who. Uh, brings headaches and fatigue and just kind of like checks out. And then I have another protector that doesn't have a name, but it's like, let me clean everything. Let me reorganize my entire house. And it's like that protector does an amazing job at keeping me out of the raw emotional state and just distracted doing something else. Yeah, that's, that's a great example um, too. Because again, like I feel like this can get kind of confusing, but I feel like you're doing such an amazing job at like explaining this. All right. So I'm really excited about this conversation. We've talked about so much good stuff. Um, I have one last question, and this is something that I ask everyone because I really want to put an emphasis on self-care this season. So my question for you is what is one thing you do each day to maintain mental wellness? Mm, mental wellness. So... The first thing that comes to mind for me that comes up is being the compassionate witness or the curious observer of my life, of myself, of other people, of everything. And I guess that kind of ties into what we were just saying or what you were sharing of the critical part, right? So it's instead of having, instead of viewing through judgment, and like scanning and interpreting and making sense of like having more of this empty, I, I perceive it as empty. It's like this empty witness and then bringing in the heart and love and compassion and 
um, like lighthearted curiosity. So I guess an example of that is like, let's say somebody swerves their car in front of me on the road, instead of having this like gut reaction or judgment of the other person or the situation, there's more of this like, whoa, I can acknowledge that a part just got scared. And whoa, I wonder, I wonder why that happened. Or I wonder what that other person might be going through or, whoa, I hope the other person's okay. I'm okay. And just bringing in more softness um, in the way that I witness and experience life. So yeah, that's been really supportive for me. I love that. Yeah, that ties right into what we were talking about. So that's, that's really great. Thank you. So before we wrap up, can you give my audience and I some ways that we can stay up to date with you and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first off, thank you so much for having me. This has been a really special conversation and um, nobody's ever reached out to me to speak specifically on parts work um, and it's made such a big impact in my life. So I'm grateful for you um, providing this space for me to share. Um, as far as where to stay up to date with me, um, about a year ago, I got off of Instagram actually for the betterment of my mental health. And so I do have an account there. You can find me at Elise and like I have all of my old posts and everything there, but um, the best place to stay in touch would be going to my website and then um, scrolling to the bottom and uh, joining my email list because I love sending out newsletters and updates through email. Um, and then also I'm active on my YouTube channel. So that's Elise Parker on YouTube. Um, and then if somebody really wants to dive deeper with me and learn with me, then the best place would be inside of my Ascend community. So that's where I'm the most active. Okay, great. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I also really enjoyed this conversation and feel like it was really meaningful and it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope everyone who's listening um, feels supported in this episode and I'm excited to listen to it back and listen to the IFS um, part and yeah, learn more about that too. So Here's to supporting our mental health. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. I want to give a big thank you to Clarissa and Elise for being on the show. This is a really special topic to me, and I feel like they did an amazing job at providing some insight on it. So if you'd like to follow our two guests, their social links will be in the description of this episode. As always, if you want to connect with the Students of Mind team, all of our links will be in the description as well. Don't forget to check out our online community, Students of Mind Chats, and visit newsly.me and use code STUDENTS for a free month of premium. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you learned something new or resonated with something you heard today, and I will see you next episode. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher 
for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.